Hello, and welcome to the Home Winemaker's Garden, a podcast about growing fruit and making wine. I'm Jessica, your host, and I invite you to follow along as I learn how to make wine at home, starting with kids, and eventually graduating to fruit from my garden. Thanks for joining me. I hope you enjoy the show. In this episode, I'll talk about pruning grapevines, why, when, and how. We'll also go over some grapevine anatomy, and I'll talk about some of the pruning I've been doing in the past several weeks. So yeah, back in April, I started helping out at Three Brothers Vineyard and Winery in Farnham, Nebraska. It's a small family-owned operation way out in the middle of nowhere. So if you're thirsting for wine and feeling adventurous, come out for a visit. Gary and Ricky Sue are great folks, and they often host a prime rib or barbecue baby back rib dinner that's delicious. Anyway, I got to help with the pruning. Actually, I'm still helping with the pruning. Yes, it's a bit late in the season, but I'll get to that later. After practicing on his vines for a couple of weeks, I went back to my family's place in western New York to prune those vines and plant a few more, and I'll also talk about that a little bit later. Okay, but before we start hacking on the vines, we should probably review the parts of a grapevine. Let's start underground where we would find the roots. These absorb water and nutrients from the soil, store carbohydrates, and produce hormones that regulate plant functions. In addition, the roots act as an anchor for the vine above ground. Grapes can, of course, grow on their own roots, but they can also be grafted onto the rootstock of other varieties. Now, if you're totally new to this whole growing grapes thing, allow me to give you a bit of a history lesson. You know how, back in the day, the European colonists brought pox and syphilis and crap to the New World? Well, the New World responded by sending phylloxera back to Europe and nearly wiping out their wine industry. Okay, this was nowhere near as bad as decimating populations of indigenous people, but the underlying concept is similar. There was no phylloxera over in Europe, so when it hitched a ride on some American grapes, it just went to town. The European grapes, Vitis vinifera, had no resistance, and they were nearly wiped out. Filthy Americans! However, they were saved by the same plants that nearly destroyed them. The American grapes, Vitis riparia, were resistant to the phylloxera that they had introduced to Europe. So they grafted the European varieties onto the rootstock of American varieties and saved the wine industry in Europe. Go USA! In addition to providing resistance to pests and diseases, rootstocks can also affect vine growth or vigor by either increasing it or decreasing it. Rootstocks can also provide drought or frost tolerance or improved function in less than ideal soil conditions like high salt or pH. AA Vineyards has a nice article on their website talking about rootstocks if you want to know more. To graft a vine, a scion or young wood cutting is taken from the desired variety to grow, and it's attached to the rootstock variety. There are lots of videos on the internet that show the process. It's often done on fruit trees also. A bit of a knot or bulge forms at the place where the scion and rootstock are joined, and this is called the graft union. Okay, so back to roots. They're underground. They can be the plant's own roots, or they can be another plant's roots. And coming up from the roots to the area just below and just above the ground is the crown. A little odd if you think about it, because you would think of a crown being somewhere up higher, like on or around a head. You might think this, but then you'd be wrong, because the crown region of the vine is at the ground. Don't blame me, I didn't make this up. 
go look it up on the Internet. I usually go to eextension.org for much of my information. Check it out. Bookmark it, even. The crown is where suckers may come up. Ooh, lollipops! No, silly! These suckers are just shoots that come up from the crown region. A plant that produces a lot of suckers can be showing stress. I saw this on several of the vines at Three Brothers Vineyard, because last year they got hit with a bad hailstorm that did a lot of damage and wiped out their entire crop. And just above the crown is where you would typically find the graft union on a grafted plant, though not always. I've seen instances where growers have grafted a couple different varieties of apples onto the branches of one tree, resulting in a tree with three different varieties of apples. Isn't that just freaky? But also kind of neat? Not really mad scientist level. Not so bad as if you tried to graft three different kinds of lizard together and... Why? Just why would you do that? Stop it. But for grafted rootstocks, it's important to keep the graft union at least four to six inches above the ground. This is because you don't want the cyan variety to root. If that happens, you could lose the beneficial traits of the rootstock variety. You also want to make sure you remove any suckers growing from the rootstock because those won't produce the same grape as your cyan variety. Now coming up from the crown is the trunk. This is a permanent structure that starts out as a shoot and over a couple of years of training matures into a trunk. In colder regions where winter kill is a risk, some growers use a double trunk system. That way, if you lose one trunk, hopefully the other one will survive and you don't lose the whole vine. And then maybe it will send up a sucker that you can train into a new trunk, unless it's grafted. Then you'll have to work with a water spout. No, I mean water sprout. Those are two totally different things, one being a kind of mini hurricane and the other just a shoot growing out of the crown of your vine, which you would generally cut off unless you need it as a renewal. The trunk supports all the vegetative and reproductive structures. Vegetative meaning the leaves and stems, and reproductive meaning the fruits and flowers. At the top of the trunk is the head region, and depending on what kind of training system is being used, this could potentially be the end of the permanent structure. With a head train system, anywhere from four to eight fruiting spurs are developed in this region. The head training system is an inexpensive option when there isn't a lot of space to put in a wire support system. The trunk is trained up along a stake until it eventually becomes self-supporting. It's almost like a little tree. You won't get as much fruit on this system as you would on some of the more spacious wire trellis systems, but if you don't have much space or money, this might be a good way to go. If you're not going with the head training system, one could then train the vine to develop cordons or arms. The terms are interchangeable. Two to four again, depending on the support system. Cordons are semi-permanent structures on which fruiting spurs are spaced every six to eight inches. Some growers choose not to have permanent cordons, but rather choose a new fruiting cane each season. The cordons branch out laterally from the trunk and are supported on a wire with ties. We'll talk more about different training systems, maybe in a different podcast. So far, I've worked on forearm niffin, top wire cordon, vertical shoot positioned, and I will probably end up training some of my own vines into a head system because they were planted very close together, about four feet apart. So those were the more or less permanent structures and regions of the vine. The roots, the crown, graft union, if applicable, trunk, head, and arms or cordons if you want to be fancy. Let's backtrack a little bit and talk about shoots. Actually, let's back up even more and talk about buds, because that is where 
shoots come from? Buds. There are many kinds of buds. Okay, it's about to get a little bit geeky, but not too much, because this is not a botany class. I mean, I must confess that I am not a totally unqualified ninny. I did get a degree in agribusiness and horticulture many, many years ago, but I didn't study viticulture, so that makes me just a slightly less unqualified ninny. Anyway, buds. We've got axillary buds, lateral buds, dormant or latent buds, and compound buds, which contain primary, secondary, and tertiary buds. Buds, 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 buds. These are growing points from which shoots can emerge, given the right conditions. Axillary buds are found in the leaf axle. Basically, that's the armpit of a stem where the leaf is attached. Yes, armpit. You know, like axillary temperature is the temperature you get when you stick a thermometer in your armpit. I'm not making this up. This is a thing. I know this because I'm also a nurse, and I've stuck thermometers in many armpits. But I digress. Let's get back to buds. So, in the leaf axle, or armpit, is the axillary bud. Actually, in viticulture, there are two buds there, right next to each other, the axillary and the lateral buds, but I'm not going there. This is all explained in the article, Parts of the Grapevine, on eextension.org. Check it out if you want to know more. Anyway, each bud is a compound bud, made up of three more little buds, the primary, secondary, and tertiary buds, each of which are capable of producing a shoot. Typically, only the primary bud starts growing at bud break or burst. This is the most fruitful one. But if this one is damaged, then the secondary bud will grow. This one isn't as fruitful as the primary bud. And if this one is damaged, then the tertiary bud will grow. The tertiary bud is not fruitful, and it's just there for survival. Let's just touch on dormant or latent buds briefly. These are just axillary buds that never grow out a shoot. They just chill out until something bad happens to the plant, like a really severe pruning or some other kind of injury like winter kill. Then they will wake up and make new shoots. Shoots consist of leaves, tendrils, often flower clusters, and, of course, more buds. Shoots mature into canes at the end of their first growing season. The main shoot growth happens at the shoot tip, or for you more edumacated folks, the apical meristem. Unlike other plants, grapevines don't form a terminal bud. So given the right conditions, they will just grow and grow and grow and grow. And new leaves and tendrils emerge from the tip or apex as it grows. Leaves are composed of a blade, which is the broad, flat part responsible for photosynthesis, which is how plants make food from sunlight and carbon dioxide. The stem of the leaf, which attaches it to the shoot, is called the petiole. Tendrils sometimes called clingers, are like little green tentacles that coil around other things like trellis wires or other shoots. They provide support and grow out of a node opposite from a leaf. They're often found every two leaves, skipping the third leaf, except for the first two or three leaves at the base of the shoot. Isn't that neat? I love tendrils. They're so cute. Why prune? Well, the ultimate goal of pruning is to produce high-quality fruit. It's often said that great wines start in the vineyard, and pruning has a huge influence on the quality of the fruit. Some might think the more fruit, the better, but this is not necessarily so. When too much fruit is allowed to grow on a vine, this can lead to several factors that result in low-quality grapes. Sometimes a vine just can't handle too much fruit. 
energy has to be distributed to several clusters that end up being smaller and are made up of smaller berries, and they might not all ripen at the same time or at all. Think of a water line in a house. Say you go to take a shower. You turn on the tap. You're doing your thing, getting clean. The water is nice and hot, just the right pressure. But then someone else decides to take a shower. Your pressure might drop. You're not getting as much water coming out of the tap. Then someone else decides to do laundry. The pressure drops some more. You might even notice the temperature going down. Then someone flushes a toilet. What the heck is wrong with these people? Why do you live with monsters? Anyway, the more outlets the water has to go to, the less pressure or hot water there is to distribute. And for those of you who have really good plumbing and water supply and never have experienced this, well, I suppose you can replace the water example with electrical current or bandwidth. The moral of the story is that by limiting the amount of fruit allowed to grow on the vine, energy can be focused on a select number of shoots that can produce large clusters of large berries with concentrated flavor and nutrients. Pruning can also help reduce disease pressure by allowing more circulation and sun exposure. More air in the canopy lowers the risk of fungal diseases like pottery mildew or black rot, which thrive in humid conditions. Sun exposure can help keep things dry, too, and it can also help fruit ripen in a timely manner. Diseased or unripened fruit are not good fruit. So again, this goes back to pruning to produce high-quality fruit. What else are we doing when we prune? Well, we're trying to maintain the shape of the vine to its given support system. We're also trying to achieve balance between vegetative and reproductive vine structures. We want enough leaves on the vine to provide nutrients for the fruit to develop and ripen, but not so many leaves that they provide too much shade and not enough air circulation. When to prune? Well, pruning is generally focused on shoots and canes and should be done every year. About 90% of the vine can be removed annually. It sounds like a lot, and it can be kind of scary at first, but it really is necessary. And grapevines can be very forgiving and resilient when it comes to pruning. Ideally, most of the pruning is done during the dormant season, which begins in the autumn after the leaves have fallen from the vine and ends with bud break in the spring. Sometimes it's not always possible to get it all done during dormancy, but the vines can still be pruned during the active growing season. Indeed, many growers go back through the vineyard for shoot or cluster thinning as part of their canopy management during the spring and summer. And why might someone not be able to get all the pruning done during dormancy? Well, often it's just a labor shortage or time or the weather's not cooperating. Maybe you had surgery on your shoulder and you just, you couldn't go out and prune. So things happen. Sometimes you can't get all the pruning done during the dormant season and you end up pruning into the spring, even after bud break. It happens. But still, you prune. Okay, so why prune in the dormant system? Well, for one thing, it's much easier to see the vines when all the leaves are down. Another reason is that it can reduce the risk of infection through open wounds on the vine while it's actively growing. In regions that have cold or severe winters, dormant pruning is often held off until late winter or just before bud break. This is to minimize loss to winter injury and also to allow assessment of any injury that occurred after the coldest temperatures have passed. Waiting the prune until right before bud break can sometimes delay the onset of bud break. And this can be helpful in areas that are at risk for late frosts. How to prune? Well, you're going to need some pruners. Now, normally, I'm not afraid to buy 
cheap or inexpensive stuff. But when it comes to pruning, you really do want to get decent equipment, especially if you have a lot of grapes to prune. Because if you don't, you will be sorry. Heck, even if you do have good equipment, you might still be sorry, because this work is not easy. Sure, the idea of working in a vineyard, pruning grapevines, may sound romantic. Until you wake up in the middle of the night with your hand in burning pain from carpal tunnel syndrome. Yeah, you heard me. Carpal tunnel syndrome. Most people think this only happens to office workers who type all day, and it can, but they aren't the only ones at risk for repetitive motion injuries. Apparently, it's a common occupational hazard for many agricultural workers, including orchard and vineyard workers. How do I know this? Because I looked it up on the internet in the middle of the night because I couldn't sleep because my hands were killing me. The pruners should be sharp and, if possible, ergonomic with a turning handle. The vineyard had these, and while these were much better than the 5 or $10 pruners you might find at any discount or department store that I actually have several pairs of, it still didn't prevent me from developing symptoms after a few days of pruning for at least six hours a day. The internet told me to look into getting some pruners with ratchets or extra gears for more power. So I did. I tried a couple different pruners by Fiskars. One was a ratchet pruner for about 20 bucks, and the other was a power gear pruner for about 25 bucks, which had an ease of use commendation from the Arthritis Foundation. That made a huge difference. But I was still careful to rest and stretch my hands throughout the time I was out pruning. My hands still get tingly sometimes, but nowhere near as bad as they had during those first couple weeks after beginning to prune. I also sometimes wear a wrist brace at night when I sleep if one of my hands is feeling a little tingly. I was honestly surprised at how well it worked to ease the pain. And dangling my hand over the side of the bed also gave some relief. But over-the-counter pain relievers like ibuprofen and Tylenol did not really help me. So, moral of the story, invest in good pruners. Sometimes you might even need loppers or a saw on larger or older canes. I actually preferred using the loppers on my own vines. It just seemed easier for me, which I guess would make sense because you're using your arm and chest muscles rather than just your hands. So, pruners, loppers, maybe a saw, and tie tape to secure your vines to the support wires if you're using a wire trellis system. And the vineyard had a tie tape that was like a roll of twisty tie material and a tie tool that would twist the tie and cut it. So we go along each vine, and Gary had his cordon trained, so they had arms going out vertically from the trunk, and we'd cut off any shoots or canes along the arm, leaving spurs every six to eight inches. And a spur is just a stub of a shoot or cane that has one to four buds on it. Sometimes we barely even left that. The idea is that this season's fruiting canes will emerge from these spurs. We'd also remove any water sprouts or suckers that might have grown out from the trunk or the crown. And we did it over and over and over, and we still aren't done, but soon, hopefully, very soon. So, there you have it. I got to prune a bunch of grapevines, and I really enjoyed it, despite the sunburn and carpal tunnel symptoms. I just love being outdoors and working with plants. I got to see blood break. I got to see some of the vines that we hacked back burst forth in exuberant vengeance. I learned a lot, but I know I still have much to learn, and I look forward to it. In future episodes, I'll give updates on the vines as they grow throughout the summer. I'll also talk about the wine kits I've made, or have going, or are going to make. Summer's a busy time, but I love it. 
That's it for this episode. Thanks for listening to the Home Winemaker's Garden. Until next time, cheers!